Welcome to episode 72 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about Deutsche Telekom and Ericsson. Now, the two recently conducted a EPOC, a proof of concept, and they're claiming the first end-to-end 5G network slicing capability with on-demand quality of service control. I mean, that's a mouthful, but from my perspective, that's a game changer. And what they focused on in this uh, in these POCs were video intensive applications. Obviously, streaming takes advantage of low latency and throughput. And what's really cool about this is that this was conducted over a 5G standalone commercial um, network deployment, obviously Ericsson's gear. And um, this functionality basically uh, uh, adjusts dynamically um, the, the quality of service and, you know, to uh, maximize, you know, the, um, you know, the performance of the application. And like, I can think, you know, this is going to open up a tremendous opportunity, especially within manufacturing automation, which I think is one of the biggest use cases for private 5G, but would love to get your input, Anshul. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of the thing we've been waiting for what's been going on with private 5G networks, standalone, and all the other things that are going on with 5G network upgrades. This is kind of something that everyone should have seen sooner, I think. Sure. But the reality is, I think some carriers, especially in the US, are taking a little bit longer. And until they have standalone, this kind of capability isn't even a possibility. So Mm -hmm. I think we need to kind of push some of the carriers to adopt standalone sooner because otherwise we're not going to have the ability to do this kind of on-demand kiosk that's going to be necessary for enterprise applications to make the most of the network and also have you know that guaranteed level of service that they expect for their customers so i think this is great I'm not surprised to see deutsche telecom and ericsson are kind of leading the way on this mm-hmm. but i hope to see others following suit hopefully we see samsung and nokia as well as other big cares like Vodafone, hopefully in the US, Verizon and AT&T. But right now, it really looks like Deutsche Telekom and Ericsson are, are kind of leading the charge. I would agree with that. And don't be surprised to see that that uh, activity trickle down to T-Mobile. Obviously, Deutsche Telekom is the parent of T-Mobile US. Uh, T-Mobile today has the uh, nation's only standalone 5G deployment. That I'm sure will change over time, as you mentioned with Verizon and AT&T, but yeah, it's pretty exciting. So more to come there, but let's go to your first topic this week. And I know there were some big announcements around Google Pixel, right? Yes. So this week we had the new Google Pixel 6 event. I believe the event was on Tuesday and I already actually have it in hand. Uh, As you can see, this is the uh, Pixel 6 Pro. And I've also got the regular Pixel 6 in this new design that they have. So these new new designs are a new kind of, uh, I don't know, design language from Google for the Pixel line. What's really interesting here is that band support has changed. So we are now seeing the base level Pixel 6 does not have millimeter wave on T-Mobile or unlocked but Verizon and AT&T's Pixel 6 do have millimeter wave. And then on top of that, all versions of the US carrier Pixel 6 Pros 
do have millimeter wave as well as sub six. But outside of the US, Australia and Japan, no one has millimeter wave. So it's a very confusing situation when it comes to band support. But one has to also understand that they're not using a Qualcomm modem anymore. They're using a Samsung modem. So there's some complexity there. And they're probably using not a Qualcomm front end for millimeter wave there either. So it's a different, definitely a different kind of platform. The Pixel 6 is also Google's first own in-house SOC. So things are different there too. But what was interesting is that the operators have different prices for their models. So yeah. the T-Mobile model is the only carrier model that ships at the 599 price point. The Verizon, because it has millimeter wave, ships for 699. Mm-hmm. And the AT&T version ships for 739 which is a pretty big difference in terms of the price between base level Pixel 6s between the carriers. And then we're also seeing promotion deals, especially from T-Mobile. They have a pretty aggressive promotion deal on the Pro, where they basically give it to you for free if you switch to Mm T-Mobile. And they have some pretty interesting offers. But I think the reason why T-Mobile is being aggressive with this offer is because they want to diversify their user base away from Samsung. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing them being aggressive on both iPhone and Pixel deals. Mm-hmm. And I think we're also going to see possibly Verizon and AT&T follow suit if the Pixel really does as well as people expect. Because, you know, in the last five years, if you look at total market share, Pixel's been sub 1% globally. Mm-hmm. So they have a pretty limited distribution of of geographies it's about 10 countries but if they start to pick up steam we could see pixel become a bigger thing for google especially with this new design language and all new hardware and new design and pricing is a little bit better than previous generations the base model is 599 the pro is 899 which Mm -hmm. is like their their biggest uh, model so that's kind of the, the the deal with the pixel 6 so it's interesting that you mentioned that this is the, this represents the first class of Pixel phones that has the Google system on a chip, right? Mm-hmm. So it sounds like they're sort of mimicking Apple, right? And you know, wanting to, to embed sort of more of their their IP into the phone. I mean, do you think that's going to give them a performance advantage? You know, um, a margin advantage or both? I mean, you're the you're the real you're, you're the expert in the firm with respect to uh, to end devices. I'd love to get your your take on that. So. I think on performance, things will mostly be a wash compared to whatever leading hardware Qualcomm has today, like let's say a Snapdragon 888 Plus. Mm-hmm. There are some components of the SoC that Google has custom built. A lot of it is off-the-shelf ARM components, CPU, GPU, those kinds of things are just off-the-shelf ARM cores, but sure. they are building their own tensor cores inside of the SoC, as well as their, their own security modules. Mm-hmm. They are claiming that they did this because they wanted to control the AI performance, mm-hmm. uh, which is an inference, you know, m- machine learning inference performance. Right. And that individual core performance is not relevant to them, but entire system performance is. And I'm not really sure that we will see a huge difference between what Qualcomm can deliver on the top end because their AI performance is quite high. Right. And look at the comparisons that Google made in their in their Tensor document that they sent us. Most of their comparisons were against Pixel 4 or Pixel 5. Pixel 4 is two generations old. And Pixel 5, they didn't actually go with the top end of what Qualcomm was delivering on, on the AI side or 
any SOC for that matter. Yeah. They were kind of going for the high of the mid end. So we'll see. I have both devices. I'm going to do some benchmarking. Can't talk about actual numbers till later, but I have both devices and I'll be testing out their 5G capabilities as well as their processing. Awesome. Look forward to that feedback as you uh, collect the data. I know you also uh, wrote a, a Forbes article, right? Or collaborated with Patrick Moorhead, our principal analyst, and that's on Forbes, correct? Yep. I wrote about the Tensor. We, together, we, we partnered on a Tensor SOC article, including coverage of the modem and, and things like that. Yeah. So we'll provide that link um, on um, the video podcast version. But let's move to my second topic this week. I want to talk about ZTE. And they've been ringing the 5G profitability bell. And like, you know, it, it gets me thinking, you know, what's fueling their success? You know, flashback, you know, before the entity listing of, of Chinese infrastructure companies in general. And um, I, I would never really seriously gave ZTE, you know, a, a, you know, a consideration because Huawei was just, you know, investing billions of dollars in R&D, building their capabilities, not only on the service provider side of things, obviously, but also with enterprise. And then, you know, just recently, you know, ZTE announced earnings and they've, they've nearly bounced back to 2017 levels. They're not on entity lists like Huawei. I think only one of their divisions in Iran is still on the list. That's just, that's one organization. Um, they're able to buy semiconductors. So they have access to semiconductors. They, uh, they replaced their management team. They agreed to certain watchdog provisions to be monitored. And they're really turning the ship around. I'll also mention that they are headquartered in the same city as Huawei and Shenzhen, China. But uh, this is a remarkable comeback. And, and the other thing that struck me as really interesting, they're, um, they're far more profitable than even what, where they were at in 2017. So they've taken operating margin from 6%, which was its healthiest in 2017. And today it's, it's uh, more than 10%. So what, what a turnaround. So we'd love to get your, your insight into what you think is fueling their success as well. I think, you know, ZTE has been quite the roller coaster, uh, especially with the whole Iran deal that they got caught and then, and then they got caught getting caught. Um, so that was a really interesting situation. I think their board did a good job of, you know, cleaning house and taking care of business I think it does help that ZTE is not as prominently known of a brand as Huawei. And as a result, I think they managed to escape a lot of the entity listings that Huawei was slapped with. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, it's good to see that they're doing well. I remember there was a point where ZTE was on the brink of collapse as a company. People were worried that they were going to lay off something like 80 to a hundred thousand employees. So I, you know, I think this is a good thing. There being competition in the market in 5G infrastructure is always a positive. And hopefully we'll see ZTE continue to grow and introduce new innovations. And, you know, I don't really have anything bad to say. I think it's always a good thing when you see a company bounce back from the brink of collapse. Yeah, I know. It's a remarkable comeback story. And, And honestly, I'll be paying more attention to them since I focus on infrastructure within the firm. But let's move to my uh, my third and final topic. We're actually we're going to move to my second topic. Your second topic. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> so you want to talk about um, uh, Qualcomm's uh, new um, filter RF filter and how that might uh, help mitigate some of the C band interference issues that we're hearing about? Yeah. So there are filters in 
smartphones and pretty much any kind of wireless communications devices. And these filters help to translate and, and kind of filter out the noise when receiving analog signals and helping to convert from analog to digital. So what, they're, what these new filters, Qualcomm's calling these ultra ball filters, and they're specifically targeted towards the spectrum range from three gigahertz to seven gigahertz, which is where a lot of the new, the new bands are being released today. It's mm-hmm. not really for the sub three gigahertz. Those bands are already taken care of. So this is really focused on new Wi-Fi bands like Wi-Fi six. Uh, they're focused on 3.5, 3.7, 4.9, all those bands that have some kind of already existing band of communications nearby. So this is going to be very useful for Wi-Fi 6E, Wi-Fi 7, as well as C-band, because C-band is very close to some aerospace bands that, that's causing some issues in some countries. Right. And then you have Wi-Fi 6 slash Wi-Fi 7, Wi-Fi 6E slash Wi-Fi 7, which operates in the 6 gigahertz band, which is very close to 5.9. So mm-hmm. having these filters means that they can operate in a much tighter tolerance. But these filters also bring other benefits like lower power consumption, lower heat. And overall, these are just a positive thing. Obviously, these do come with additional cost because they're new and they're probably going to, you know, considering all the things that are happening with the semiconductor industry, filters are not necessarily, uh, you know, out of that realm. So we're going to see probably some limited supply there as well. But in the end, there, there is a solution. And I think this is possibly the way we can go to avoid having interference with existing incumbent uh, users on a lot of these bands where there's been a lot of hesitancy around deploying them in some countries because of the possibility of interference. Yeah, you know, I've done a little bit of investigation into this. I spoke with a startup resident recently, and they also produce RF filters, a lot of 5G deployment, you know, scenarios with, with that startup. And it's, uh, it's, it's an area that, that's quite interesting. It's something that I think is often not understood or overlooked. And to your point, it's pretty critical as, you know, we're getting this crowdedness, right, around some of this licensed and unlicensed spectrum. So great, great input, buddy. Let, let's, so let's go to my third and final topic this week. And it is uh, financial performance season. And, you know, I'm going to talk about AT&T today. You know, Verizon and T-Mobile won't be too far behind. But at a high level, from a 3Q earnings perspective, I was quite impressed with a couple of things. One, looking at postpaid phone net ads, nearly a million uh, for the quarter. And overall postpaid net ads in general, over 1.2 million. Now, this represents some of the best performance and ads for AT&T in nearly a decade. So they're doing something right. You know, they're, they're bringing on new subscribers. I'm not surprised to see the, the phone net ads because they've been very aggressive, right? We've talked about that before on um, the promotional activity and, and that sort of thing. So I felt that that was, you know, you know, kind of in light of just the competitive environment was quite impressive. The other thing that I track with AT&T is, is broadband. They are growing their fiber footprint quite aggressively, uh, mm-hmm. nearly an 8% increase. And they... Uh, attribute that to um, a massive number of fiber ads. So both mobility and wireline, it seems like from a consumer's perspective, AT&T is not all cylinders. Um, would love to hear your input and insights as well. 
I am not surprised. <laughs> I think the thing is, is that AT&T is refocusing on its core business. Right. And it's showing that it's focusing on its core business because it's basically spun off all of its content part, you know, businesses. Warner, yeah, Warner Media, exactly. Warner Media. Yeah. So they, they still have a significant share in those, but they're no longer running those. And that's really what I think is the difference here is that they are focusing on their core business and it's, it's wireline fiber and it's wireless 5G. And until they started focusing on that specifically, yep. you know, things were kind of struggling. And now that they're focused on it, it's a miracle. Things are going well for them. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with what I'm seeing out of AT&T. Uh, I think that they're very close to leadership in, in a lot of places. I personally love their fiber product. Uh, yep. I used to have it. I'm moving into a new place that has it again. I am so excited. Words cannot describe. Um, <laughs> the truth is fiber is a superior product and AT&T's fiber product is uh, miles ahead of the competition and yeah. their own UVerse product. So yeah. I, I can't wait to see them roll out more fiber because I think it's a net positive for the country. Uh, it's a net positive for consumers. And it's just a, a better product overall. And I think um, we'll see it benefit their, their 5G wireless business as well, as you said, because they're going to mesh together their, 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 their uh, broadband network with their infrastructure. Absolutely. They continue to invest very heavily there. That's a key focus for the company. And that, that's a great insight that you brought that, you know, spinning off some of these, uh, these things that were distracting to them, not necessarily in their wheelhouse. It's gotten them laser focused on the core business and, and things are paying off. So it will be interesting to see what Verizon and T-Mobile report. And we'll probably include that on a future podcast, but let's go to your third and final topic this week. And you want to provide an update on the 3.45 gigahertz 5G auction and uh, where they've rung the bell from a revenue perspective. Yes. So there is a threshold. Basically every day there's a new round of auctions and today the auction closed above the threshold that was necessary to allow for the auction to move forward and mm-hmm. complete. Uh, because there's a certain amount of costs that are necess- necessary to clear the spectrum, to pay for incumbents to move off of it. And they've passed that number, which is $14.77 billion, mm-hmm. which means that, first of all, the government's going to make that, is going to bring in that much money, but also that bidding has resumed and become more aggressive because there were some concerns in an earlier round that there would be not enough bidders or not enough bids to clear that that threshold. So this is a good thing and we'll see what happens uh, as, as things wrap up. But there were some, some hesitancies there and nowhere really, nobody really knows what's going to be the end result. But I think the most important thing is that we will report when the final results are, are public because this is a secret auction. Uh, nobody really knows what's going on until it's over. Yeah. So yeah. we're just guessing at this point and I don't really want to guess. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully yeah. we can get a result soon. The FCC continues to ring the bell. Well, hey, my friend, another great episode this week. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this, this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to reach out to us on a 
provide a specific insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Well Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune again next week.